0: Welcome to the Sustain UW podcast, a place for sustainability conversation, expert interviews, and news hosted by student interns from the UW-Madison Office of Sustainability. We wanna know, what's up with sustainability and where should we go from here? Before we dive into today's episode, we wanna remind you that the opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the views of the Office of Sustainability, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. Now, let's get into today's show.
1: to the sustain uw podcast i'm kylie and i'm hosting today's episode with Gigi. we are going to learn about urban and organic agriculture in kenya and on uw madison campus
2: today we have jake bright with us a uw madison senior who will share his organic farming journey in kenya with us he's involved with everything sustainability here on campus including being the asm sustainability chair Jake, hello and welcome. Uh, could you please introduce yourself to our listeners?
3: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I am Jacob Bright. I am a senior at UW-Madison. I use he, him pronouns. I study global health and organic agriculture on the pre medicine track. Um, I am the Associated Students of Madison Student Government Sustainability Chair. And I am also the Associated Students of Madison SAC Student Advisory Committee Sustainability Board chair member.
2: You had an internship with the CDC in Kenya this past summer and are actually moving there full-time in August. So could you tell us a little bit about your work with the CDC and what your future plans are?
3: Yeah, for sure. So I had the opportunity to study with the School for International Training. Uh, with that, we had a bunch of language classes and cultural immersion experiences, and we had um, the opportunity to find internships. Mine was at the CDC. It was really fun. Um with that, we were able to study mobile clinics and just, like, the concept of how do community health volunteers uh, bridge that gap between healthcare systems. While I was there, we had the opportunity to meet with a lot of, like, really cool people. I had the opportunity to meet with Dr. Adele Ottoman. He is one of the healthcare big honcho men there in Homabay Bay County. He's the healthcare director there. And he uh, had the opportunity to start Euro City Hospital, which is a large hospital. It only has one floor right now, but it has the capacity to have up to three more floors. And he was able to help build that in a rural community outside of Kasumu area. And with that, he also had the opportunity to build the MART Kenya Medical Academy of Research for Community Empowerment, as well as take on a children's orphanage, HOGA, Home of Glory Alone Children's Orphanage. With Holga, they were offered to lease out and be donated 20 acres of land um, that they're able to do different types of farming, whatever they really want to do on it. It was like, oh, we should start a carnival or something. But uh, (laughs) we didn't. Uh, We decided to farm. Um, And so after many conversations with Dr. Adele, he was like, hey, you should be a part of this. And so then through more conversations and a little bit of reluctancy, I, I agreed. And so I am now the international executive director for that triad of the hospital, the Medical Academy of Research, and also the Children's Orphanage. What's really awesome is that with the horticulture department and their organic collaborative that they started last year, we had the opportunity to start the organic agriculture certificate program, our equivalent of a minor, And I decided to do that, and as my capstone, we had to do something that had to do with organic agriculture, and I'm like, well, why don't I connect those two together? Like, that would be really cool, (laughs) yeah. So I was like, well, why don't we, like, start the farm? And so Professor Tom Bryan in the Department of Horticulture has really been helping me a lot, and we have been signing lease agreements, we've been working with lawyers for procurement, We've been working on building wells, hydrogeological surveys. It's been a lot, but it's been really, really rewarding.
1: Congratulations on all of your accomplishments that you've made so far. So when you move back to Kenya full time, what is your daily job kind of going to look like?
3: Yeah, so I'm going to be moving there in August of 2023. And I'm going to be, I'm um, continuing on my research with mobile clinics and community health volunteers. Um, but another really, really big passion of mine is continuing on with this farm. We are partnering with Jeremiah Oginga Odinga University, and we are going to be doing a research study actually connecting um, basically how organic agriculture works and the connection between um, macro and micronutrients to understand the connection between the two. And then to be able to see, like, are we actually getting an increase? in uh, conventional agriculture um, for macro and micronutrients or organic? And, like, how does conventional and organic kind of change the system?
2: And when you're saying macro and micronutrients, are you saying, like, what people are receiving when they're eating those products?
3: Yeah, yeah. So basically with Homoglory alone, they have around 150 students or um, people living there. Uh, they're any age between 3 and some are, like, upper tw- mm, like 22-ish is kind of the max, and then they're able to go on to other things. And so they've been seeing a lot of issues of macro and micronutrient deficiencies within their community. And so we're working with the uh, Internal Relation Board, and we're working with um, Jeremiah ogingo Dingo University and their research staff. And so we have many ethics boards interplaying within the system to make sure that everything's okay. And we're working with a local dietitian to be able to understand The nutritional surveys uh, preemptively before we do any sort of bringing in new organic systems. And then uh, once we start growing the organic products, which we'll be doing um, livestock, uh, dairy cattle and beef cattle, as well as produce. So like fruit trees and different types of vegetables and planting crops. We're going to start to grow the plants and then we're going to see um, is that impacting their nutrition status for everyone that lives at the orphanage.
1: That is so interesting. You mentioned organic and conventional farming earlier. Could you just describe the differences between the two for listeners who
3: don't know what exactly you're talking about? Yeah, for sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have only taken probably four classes on it. So like (laughs) I'm not going to know everything for sure. But the organic framework is basically just like these principles of what organics are. And so maybe we can take a step back and think about conventional systems and what organics aren't. So conventional systems are basically, I like to think about, like, the industrialized-sized agriculture, where they don't really take into consideration, like, what are the stewards of the land doing? They um, oftentimes have very, like, degraded lands that the soil health is not very good. They don't take into consideration genetically modified crops or organisms, GE crops or GM crops, things like BT corn, that they don't understand that the productivity that they're able to produce with that has detrimental impacts on the environment around it because they are a plant. Like, corn, whether it be conventional or organic, is a plant. And so for things like Bt corn, um, it's able to cross-pollinate with other things in the uh, natural ecosystems. And so it has this, like... kind of snowball effect of like oh now the insects are out of balance and now the little critters that are able to eat the insects can't like eat insects because there are none left and so that's what I kind of think about industrial agriculture it's very profit driven and there's not really any consideration of the land or the community or like the actual agrarian principles in contrast organic agriculture is really interesting because they have international standards, and then they also have standards for the United States. What's really interesting is that it's quite costly, actually, to get into the organics system. You're not able to plant on your land using fully organic certified uh, for many years before you're actually able to get that um, premium price for it. But So that's kind, of, that's kind of a downfall of organic agriculture. But in a positive light, they are really focused on increasing soil health. So making sure that they have things like cover crops that they're able, like after they, let's say, take all of that corn off the land, that they plant another thing on top of it that helps with like nitrogen fixation to put the nitrogen and the nutrients back into the soil and to make sure that they think about crop rotations to make sure that some plants take certain micronutrients out of the soil. And so planting a different type of crop in there so that it can replenish the system, and then the other great thing about organics is that there there's the principles and then there's the actual like legal framework that they need to follow. And so what we're doing on the farm in Kenya is we're going to follow the frameworks of it to make sure that we are being right for the soil, making sure that we're doing crop rotations, not using synthetic herbicides and pesticides, making sure that we are taking into consideration the the people that are actually farming there because when we, when we think about organics, um, while they don't have any labor standards for organics, which is another kind of downfall of organics, there is an overall interest in it much more than industrialized systems. So yeah, it, it's just like a better overall healthier approach. And what's really awesome between the difference between the United States and in Kenya is In the United States, there's still some hesitation, like, oh, I don't really know. I don't really want to do organics. I don't really know how I feel about it, blah, 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 blah. But whoever I have talked to largely in Kenya, they are, like, gung-ho about organics. like, yeah, sure, why wouldn't we do that? That just seems like the right thing to do. And so I think that's really interesting because... Everyone, there's, like, that's some sort of, like, American exceptionalism that, like, is not really there when it comes to agriculture. And so I think it's a really beautiful thing because I don't have to try to, like, change their thoughts or change their perspectives. They're right there with me. They understand. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, I agree that how you said that conventional farming is very, like, profits driven and therefore they want to, to maximize those profits. It's increasing the amount of fertilizers and pesticides and everything to increase that plant growth even though it is detrimental to the soil um, and honestly actually causes you to have to use more fertilizers Mm -hmm. because you're degrading that soil and it's just this perpetuating this cycle that I think how you mentioned all those benefits of organic is trying to first of all maybe just like educate people and also make it like worthwhile to farmers to do organics because right now I feel like conventional farming if you're trying to make a living right now that's what you can make the most income out of so just kind of shifting to the organic framework could you talk more about the method of organic farming that you're going to do in Kenya so are you doing more like what plants are you doing um, composting like what kind of fertilizers are you using
3: sure so the way that we're doing the, um we're doing the fields in Kenya are it's 20 acres in total it's gonna be split into two different 10 acre sections. The plot A is going to be for produce, plot B is gonna be for livestock. For the sake of this conversation, we could talk about plot A. So the way that we're doing it is that we're working with Professor Tom Bryan right now to understand irrigation systems and using solar panels to be able to build a well and pump up the water, send it out in every which way, using different types of pipes to be able to irrigate the soil. We did a soil analysis we figured out that they have a lot of volcanic ash a lot of clay so that means that we need to increase the soil organic matter The way that we're going to be doing that is through raised bed systems, which um, is common in a lot of urban agricultural centers because you don't have to tend to the ground below it. You can actually just build up the ground that you like. So the way that we're going to be building up those raised bed systems is we are partnering with local producers of livestock and also carbon sources. So like brush and trees and cabinetry and things. And they'll follow the organic principles as well. And so we're going to be taking the manure and the livestock waste, and we're going to be taking the carbon sources, and we're actually going to be making micro-compost piles as a raised bed system. So the compost there, because of the humidity level and also because of the temperature level, it, it takes around one growing season. So like between like four to six months, depending on the crop we're going to be able to incorporate that because the best type of soil that you can have is actually right under the compost pile in general. That's like the most like fruitful soil. So then we'll take all of that excess soil and like the giant hill of compost, put that in giant wheelbarrows and then just pour it like onto the left and to the right of it. And we're going to like make all of our crops go from like section A to section B to section C to section D. And so it's going to be a giant rotation. Some of the things that we're going to be growing are things like maize, which are like is the equivalent of our corn. We are, are growing squashes, pumpkins, um, sakuma wiki, which is kind of like a kale. Um, we're growing different types of spinach. And also root vegetables like pumpkin, potatoes, and sweet potatoes. Yeah, I think that's about all. And then we're also going to be incorporating in... Um, Forestry. So we're going to be planting a lot of trees around the perimeter of the actual cropping system. And that'll be like things like pineapples and mangoes and bananas. They have a lot of really interesting fruit varieties and like passion fruit. And the interesting thing is, is that not only will we be able to um, give out that fruit, but it also adds an additional um, balance between like the actual plants that we're growing, but then all the little critters that are part of the system as well. They're able to live there. They're able to seek shelter there. And then it also helps a lot with drainage and runoff, because if they have that giant deep root, rooted systems of all the trees, it kind of holds all the soil in place.
2: That's super exciting and that everyone's going to have like fresh, healthy, accessible foods. Yeah. Um, and also, will community members be able to like help work at this farm or is it more just like they're provided with this food?
3: Yeah. Um. So that's like the biggest thing that we're trying to work on right now is we have around 35 full time staff members, which is a lot. I'm <laughs> like, oh, my God, how am I supposed to handle all of this?
1: You handle all of them? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, on right into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: I know. I just got the whole list of all of, like, the staff members and, like, their age and, like, everything and where they live. And what the awesome thing is is that they all have really amazing farming experience, And but they only get paid around $2 a day for what they do. And so what's really awesome is because we had a lot of meetings with just the community members in general, just, like, the stakeholders of the community, and just asking them, What are the things that you need? And out of all of those meetings around the 16 that we had, they identified we need to get paid more, we need to eat more, we need to eat more nutritious food, and we we need jobs. And so... The way that we have it worked out now is with all of our staff members, they're going to be able to get paid $5 a day, so it's an increase in $3, and they're going to be able to work shorter amounts of time throughout the day, so they only have around 8-hour shifts rather than like 14-hour shifts, which is commonplace for farmers in that area. And then they're also going to be able to be served three meals that we will provide for them during their um, farming for the day. And they also don't need to work seven days a week. Uh, They can work as many or as little as they want, which is really awesome. And all of the farmers that we have are are going to be able to move back home because they oftentimes move far away from their home place to be able to go and find work. So they're going going to be able to come back to their actual community where They feel like their family is and where their home is. And so they're going to be able to work right on this farm. And the other awesome thing is, is that we are definitely not profit driven, that we are not going to be selling any crops until everyone is fed. And the the amount that we are producing is enough to feed the community members. So all of the workers and staff members are going to be able to take as much produce home as they would like. And we're also going to be giving all of the produce to all of the people that are at the orphanage as well. And Once or if we make excess produce, then we can talk about selling things.
2: Wow, that's an amazing mission.
1: That is so cool that you are changing those workers' lives and giving them a better work experience. And you mentioned a little bit about how you are going to be giving this food back to the community. Do you see any other positive impacts that this farm will have on the community besides just being given the food?
3: Yeah, one of the main things that we've been working on as well is I have three interns at the University of Wisconsin, and we started um, this youth campaign in August. With this youth campaign, each of the four of us, we are in charge of different aspects of what makes up the Kenyan lifestyle. We have weekly meetings with all of the orphans, and we talk to them. We just have basic conversations like, what are your hopes and dreams? Like, What do you, what do you hope to see in the world? What do you see as issues in the world? And that's the kind of nitty-gritty thing that we've been looking to into is like what are the issues that they are facing and so we're we're not telling them to do anything by any means and we're not we're not guiding them by any means we're we're providing them resources so we've taken four different um, groups we've split them up into groups of about 35 people and where each of the interns and myself is in charge of one of those groups, and I'm in charge of the organic agriculture section, and so with these youth campaigns, for my section, we basically, I send them, what does organics look like around the world, and like, how are people interacting with that, and then they take that information, they share it with their 35 members in their group, and what We've been looking in towards right now is we've been working with local government officials and we've been finding all of their contact informations, And we're just going to basically be doing letters to the editor and saying, hey, we are the youth. We are from Kisumu, Kenya, and this is what we're seeing in our community right now. And we don't like it. We want change. We want to seek change. And so it's more of a community empowerment measure. And so the farm is going to be a really great way to show, like, we want organic agriculture. We want community-based organic agriculture. Because, like, Kenya as a whole has been doing this for so long. And why in the last 10 years have you been trying to switch to this industrialized system? That's not how we've ever been for the thousands of years that we've been farming. Why do you think this is good as it is now? And they see like all of the industrialized systems have been making people sick. They've been making people throw up. They can't even eat the produce that comes out of industrialized systems because they're just so not used to it. In America, we've always been eating industrialized food, so we don't realize it. we don't get sick off of it anymore, which is kind of scary, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's such an interesting perspective. And so I'm excited to see how that plays out.
2: That's exciting that you're working with the locals and the youth, like the next generation, um, to empower them. And not. I feel like often we see Western ideals imposed in other countries. um, And instead working with their strengths and what they have done for generations, that's been proven to work. So that's very exciting.
1: So it seems like you're having a great experience in Kenya and everyone's on the same page and wants to work towards using organic agriculture. So then now that you've had that experience, how does that compare to the United States and Wisconsin and then Madison specifically. How can we be better with our farming practices? And I guess like what are the roadblocks that you see?
3: So the way that it is where our plot of land is in Kenya, it's a very rural Kenya. So that that's two major differences of course. There, there's like 300,000 people that live in Madison or something like that. And the like amount of population in the area that we're farming in is like less than a hundred per square mile or something. So it's it's quite smaller. But in Madison, it's really interesting because I always like to think about the the difference between the white farmers and all of the bipoc people that are able to farm. Historically, bipoc people are not able to participate within farming because we often think about, who is an idealist farmer? Who who do we think about when we see a farmer? And it's probably like a white old dude. And it's made, it's made to be that way because they were able to have small family farms because, you know, they, they took away all of the land from all of the Native Americans. They took away all of the rights of every person that wasn't white, and that's when they decided to start farming in the United States. So that generational knowledge, that generational wealth, that generational amount of land that they have is by white people. And so I would like to think about that because— we're in this new generation where everyone is starting to sell their farms. The, the land is going to industry. We're decreasing the amount of people that are farming as individuals, and it's more just large corporations. And I think it's kind of interesting because BIPOC folks aren't able to participate as well. And that's a really upsetting thing to see because one of the most dangerous places to live in the United States is in Wisconsin. We have the highest incarceration com- um rate for black people in comparison to any other demographic of people in the United States. And that's it's quite frustrating. And the concept of food deserts is really apparent for a lot of people in, in Madison in general for BIPOC populations, and that there's not a lot of access to fresh produce for a lot of people in Madison they wouldn't think that like oh we live in a liberal city but the issues are right here as we see it today and with the increase in urban agriculture through things like adding in gardens to the front or back of your yard or making community spaces where you're able to bring people together to be able to um, enjoy food it reconnects people not only with the land but it brings people back to a community especially coming out of COVID now it's like community is a really important thing and we didn't have that for so long and It's really nice to see that people are able to reconnect with what we had so long ago, to be able to connect with the land and our food and our systems. And I think it's a beautiful thing if we're able to promote that through urban agriculture.
2: Yes, I fully agree. And also like bringing agriculture to urban spaces will be able to increase not only the access to that clean food that everyone deserves and like has the right to, but also, like you said, increasing maybe people who are able to start farming if you're bringing it into these communities, maybe bringing more BIPOC people into urban agriculture. We do have some examples of urban agriculture in Madison, but I do definitely think that there's room for improvement. Do you have any ideas on where we could start utilizing more urban agriculture?
3: So the number one thing that I think about is um, for UW students, when we think about urban agriculture, we oftentimes think about Eagle Heights Community Garden. And that's a lovely space. I love being there. Um, There's FH King, which is one of the registered student orgs. And we have Wong Chic. We also have a lot of research going on there in the horticulture department, botany department, genetics department. But I think about that's also like an accessibility issue. Like um, oftentimes the bus is gonna miss the spot or like it, it, it takes sometimes anywhere between 10 minutes for me to get there or an hour and a half. And so like uh, yeah. that, that, becomes, that becomes a really, really big issue. And so I wish if I could see an my idealist perspective that we had urban agriculture in like every area, that we had raised garden beds all over to be able to just have the fruits of our labor spread out right before us. And I don't know how exactly they would do that, but we need to allocate more time and we need to allocate more space to the development of urban agriculture. Because when you think about urban agriculture, it not only connects to the environment around us. It helps with diversifying the bioecosystem. It helps with runoff, with drainage. Number two, it helps with food. It helps you get fresh, clean, affordable food. But number three it's the community system. It's so much more than just the food. It's so much more than just being able to go out there and get your hands dirty. It's like the connections that you make with people. And I think that's a beautiful thing because if you're able to take the time to slow down a little bit, especially in our American perspective and as the perspective of a student where we're all going super fast all the time, it's really nice to slow down and get reconnected with what are we eating? How are we eating it? How is it being produced and who's helping us get there?
1: So we've kind of shifted to talking about urban agriculture and not everyone knows what that means. So a quick little definition for urban agriculture is that it pretty much encompasses anything that involves producing food in an urban setting. So this can include personal gardens, hydroponics, beekeeping, community gardens, keeping chickens, anything within that realm. And the area of like hydroponics and vertical gardens is becoming more popular among students. Do you have any experience in that, or what is your opinion on those forms of urban ag?
3: So the first thing that I like to think about is... What is hydroponics? and like what is the system and way it, in the way in which it works? It's a little concerning to me because um, when we think about urban farming in the sense of hydroponics, vertical farming, it's often indoors and it's often in spaces for the wealthy. That it costs a lot of money to start these farms. It costs a lot of resources to be able to run them. And so if all of those things aren't considered and done in a sustainable fashion, are they even worth it? I don't know. And that we have seen, um, this the system of vertical farming really take on for wealthy people that they're like oh look it's sustainable and it's like indoors and it's organic and I'm like yeah but you're still paying thirty dollars for a head of lettuce like is that really cost effective whatsoever but I do have to say that maybe the technology is not really there yet because with the green fund that we have at UW-Madison Office of Sustainability gives out close to forty thousand dollars every year to be able to help students start new tangible projects on campus and some of them that have been coming through I know that are going to try to get approved for this semester is um, increased vertical farming on campus what's really interesting is is that I'm part of the grant allocations team for that and something that we think about for vertical farming is is this really a sustainable process is it more sustainable than the way that we're doing it now and um, is there long-term consideration for increase in technology and if so we'll approve them and so that's really interesting because if the need is there we can take in consideration for it and if students are interested in it why don't we take in consideration for it
2: yes a nice little plug to the green fund if if anyone (laughs) has ideas out there definitely go to the green fund um The OS is there to fund your ideas, but it just has to come from students first. So if you have that interest in urban agriculture, have ideas, that's exciting that we might be seeing vertical gardens coming more to Madison. I know there's one currently, but expanding on that. And also, it's interesting to think, is it truly sustainable or not? Yeah. Because, I mean, you asked a lot of questions and I definitely don't have the answers. Is it really (laughs) worth it? Or if the technology is there yet?
1: On the topic of Green Fund, we also did have another project on Urban Egg that went through called the Chadbourne Garden Beds. So there are raised garden beds in front of Chadbourne Residence Hall. And it's just showing how more people are getting interested in growing their own food and being connected to their food source. Do you think it's important for students and just people in general to be connected to their food source?
3: Yeah, for sure. If people have buy-in for the system, if they have like meat in the game, if they're able to pick the seeds that they want, if they're able to grow the things that they want, they have to weed it, they have to water it, that they have a lot more appreciation for their food. And, you know, the beautiful thing is, is that because we're at a research institution and that we're at a university, that it doesn't have to work perfect um, in order for it to be an amazing learning opportunity for people. It doesn't have to be an industrial scale. It doesn't have to make 100% profit margins. It it's there more so so that people are able to learn about it in an area where they're able to explore and fail a little bit because the stakes are low there. And so it's a really beautiful thing to be able to have students be able to experience those things, go through the grant writing process, be able to participate in their own creation of their food, especially for the fact like we talked talked about earlier that a lot of people aren't farming anymore and so if you bring in that joy of farming again like I had the uh, opportunity to experience like when I was growing up I hated farming like it was so annoying I lived in the middle of absolutely nowhere and it smelled like cow manure all the time it took 20 minutes by car to get anywhere and I was like I can never deal with this I I would never do this and now that I've been able to take a step back and then learn from new people and new perspectives of like what farming is and what it could be and the community surrounding it I'm kind of interested in it again it's pretty cool stuff to be able to like grow something yourself and like make food out of your like little tiny seeds like oh my god that's so fun
2: (laughs) and I also think it helps reduce food waste like if you're real if you put in the work to make like grow all of this food um, and you're really seeing the time and effort that comes into it, you're less likely to throw away that excess food and, I don't know, utilize every bit of it.
3: Right, for sure. And for the fact that 40 to 60 percent of all of the food in the United States gets thrown away, is, um, if we can do anything to try to diminish <laughs> that, that would be beautiful.
2: <laughs> Even in the dining halls right now, I just know that that's an insane amount of food waste here at Madison. As well.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, we did, we did put in the artificial intelligence, yes, living technology. Green Fun. Path, yeah, yeah. Um, I helped with that with Morgan Barlin last year. Oh,
2: that's exciting. Yeah. Yes. So there are steps to be reducing food waste here at Madison.
3: As we wrap
1: up this episode, I just wanted to ask you how can students who are interested in your internship in Kenya get involved or learn more? And it doesn't necessarily have to be your exact one that you had, but if they're interested in your path, where can they go?
3: Yeah, for sure. So I would recommend going on the University of Wisconsin's um, Study Abroad page. There is a lot of increase in the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences programs for sustainability in general and also food, um, farming. So there's a lot of really great opportunities for that. Um, Also check out the School for International Training. They have a lot of really great opportunities. And if you don't want to um, go abroad or if you don't want to do an actual full-fledged program, I would check out maybe the Fair Share CSA, Community Supported Agriculture Program. They do basically organic agriculture and you're able to go out and volunteer. And then you're able to get a free uh, community supported agriculture box. So it's a, like a giant like produce box that you can get for a discounted rate if you go and volunteer with them. Another thing would be joining FH King, one of the registered student orgs, maybe joining Sustain Dane, which is a neighborhood food solutions um, for urban farming, and then also join the ASM Sustainability Committee. We talk about it all (laughs) the time.
2: (laughs) Yes, so everyone, please, if you're interested in organic agriculture, look into those options that Jake just mentioned. Thank you so much for coming on today, Jake. And do you have any other closing remarks?
3: Yeah, I do have closing remarks. I would say you need to remember to take a step back and to take a step to slow down that the world goes on so fast around us and that oftentimes if you let the world go on, you're not going to uh, you're not going to be able to appreciate all of the amazing things that are going on around you. That agriculture is going to happen whether you participate in it or not, but If we continue to do it the way that we are, we're going to continue to increase the industrialized systems. We're going to continue to deplete the soils of all of their nutrients. But you are the person to make the change. You You can wake up every day and choose to either not think about it or just kind of go on about your day without it. Or you can change by taking a stand, by making your voice heard, by making a change. And yeah, so I would say... Take a step back to think. Thank you.
1: Thank you. That was very inspiring. Made me
2: cry on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a little uh, word of advice from Jake. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks to the director of sustainability at UW Madison, Dr. Missy Nurgard, and to the director of sustainability education and research, Professor Andrea Hicks. Thanks also to the Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies and of Facilities Planning and Management for supporting this podcast. The making of these episodes requires a lot of behind-the-scenes work from the entire intern podcast team, and we are so grateful for their efforts. Until next time, continue thinking about how to best sustain UW.